0: Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Lift off. We have a lift off. Thirty-two minutes past the hour. Lift off on Apollo Eleven. Tower clear. Welcome to Space Three D and the conclusion of our interview with co-host Emily Carney about the life and times of futurist Gerard K. O'Neill. In this episode, we discuss O'Neill's enduring legacy and how the upstarts of commercial space, including Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, are helping to realize O'Neill's prescient vision of space settlement for the masses.
1: It does bear mentioning that a lot of the theoretical things that were bandied about during the 70s and 80s could they have happened? Probably not, you know, but it's it's kind of neat to look back and just kind of for me to look back at those things and just say, OK, these were ideas that were. You know, sort of tossed about during this time, and I, I sort of like to look back fondly on them, even though now it might seem, you know, very cuckoo. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was bandied about. They were going to rescue Skylab. I mean, it <laughs> didn't yeah. happen, but. Well, yeah, that was development
2: timelines and things like that. They had the they had the uh, boost stage in development. But one of the most fascinating things to me is, is that we're now reaching the point where some of those things are becoming possible. It's not NASA. It's it's commercial companies that are willing to take the, the the risk and test and learn and things like that, that, that are talking about these things like they could happen.
1: Yes. Um, I think honestly, when I was, uh, researching these, this, these little articles that I was writing, um, when I was doing research, um, I was trying to, you know, put O'Neill's legacy into words. And, um, like I said, some people kind of take a, a viewpoint that, well, his space settlements didn't get made. So his idea was kind of a flop. And I think that's reductive. I really do. I don't think his ideas were a flop at all. I think we're starting to see, as you said, uh, some of his ideas channeled into the things that, for example, uh, SpaceX, is, or SpaceX is doing and uh, Blue Origin is doing. And some of the ideas that they have. Um, is it on a much smaller scale than what uh, O'Neill envisioned? yes, But I think it has the same spirit that, okay, we're going to, you know, make space flight more accessible to regular people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And I think that does reflect on O'Neill's legacy positively that this was somebody who seriously thought about that and put that idea forward that, you know, okay, you know we want to send all people into space. That was his, that's really, I think what he wanted was that, you know, he wanted a method to send regular people into space, you know, that was cost effective, you know, because, and I think the latter, you know, sort of the back end of that idea was, you know, to help preserve humanity. So I definitely think he had a def- an impact on those, you know, on those companies visions. It, you know, even though it, it's kind of slow coming. Yeah. Yeah, Did Jeff he, Bezos
2: supposedly he's he's quoted he, that he was, you know, interested he was following uh Gerard O'Neill as part of his that's part of what he was doing, you know. You know, he gave his commencement speech at uh at uh high school, and that's the kind of stuff he talked about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bezos really his vision resembles uh O'Neill's more, I think, as far I mean Um, Because Elon Musk has talked about space settlement, but he's focused a lot on Mars, which is fine. I'm not criticizing that at all. Uh, Bezos's ideas resemble more of um, O'Neill's ideas, I think. So he's really a big booster of uh, O'Neill's sort of uh, ideals. And I believe a couple years ago he won the Gerard K. O'Neill Award from the National Space Society. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree with you totally. I think private industry is really um, starting to go in that direction now, which is incredible. Uh, I, I think, I really think, you know, it's starting to happen. So not as fast as O'Neill envisioned it. Uh, his, his idea w- was that we would have people living in space settlements by like 1985 or so, which, uh, did not happen, but I, I think, I, I do think in the future, it might not be immediately, but it might be in a hundred years that I think his ideas will be validated. Now, we have to look at
2: what he was seeing at the time, which was NASA's PR approach to selling the space shuttle. We will be flying once a week. We will be turning around. We will be doing regular aircraft type operations. And based mm-hmm. on those statements, his approach was valid. He, he made
1: valid assumptions based on what he was being told. Absolutely that's another thing. And I'm glad you brought that up. That really bears mentioning was that at that time, NASA's um, idea for the space shuttle was now we see it is laughable. I mean, it was super over optimistic. Um, The idea was that you'd have a two week turnaround and that they'd be launching every couple of weeks. We'd have 500 space flights by 1992, I think of the shuttle. And um, yeah, we'd just be putting them up every couple of weeks, like an airliner. I mean, Yeah, it'd be just like going on an airplane. And, you know, and yeah, that that was seriously their idea for for the younger listeners who don't know about this. That was really what they were saying (laughs) at that That time. That was the way they felt that they could get (laughs) it
2: approved. And, you know, they ended up bringing the military on board in order to get that that flight number. And the military said, fine, you know, let us fly some out of Vandenberg. And yeah, we'll we'll sign on to that. And it all kind of came crashing down.
1: Exactly. (laughs) It was completely, now we realize that was completely unrealistic. And, you know, the shuttle was not this cost-effective innovation as it was sold. I I think only now we're starting to see with, you know, love them or hate them, we're starting to see with Elon Musk and SpaceX that, you know, okay, we got this system where we can reuse rockets that might be more cost-effective.
0: Would you ultimately, at the end of the day, characterize O'Neill as a futurist?
1: Yes, I characterize him as a futurist. Um, Definitely. Uh, I do like the book uh, Patrick McRae wrote that I referenced previously, A Visioneer. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a combination of the uh, visionary and engineer. I think, honestly, O'Neill was more of an engineer. Um, I I don't want to say he wasn't a visionary at all. He definitely was, but... Um if you actually read his work, he was he had really heavy engineering chops and um his vision for, you know, he was very inventive. You know, he was definitely somebody who liked to get his hands on stuff and he you know, kind of an inventor and a builder. And um I, I really characterize him as a great engineer and like you said, a uh and a futurist because this was somebody who definitely was, you know, ten steps ahead everybody else, who was trying to look at, you know, Like Geostar, for example, that is super futuristic to me because the idea of, okay, we're going to have a system that's going to be able to triangulate your location, you know, and get you help if you need it. I mean, obviously, that's something that didn't happen until probably almost 30 years, 40 years later. You know, whereas now we have, you know, this little thing in our pocket where we can do that, you know, and uh, yeah, I think I would characterize him as one of the great futurists. And I think he was... His engineering chaps are seriously underrated too. Wow, I mean, I learned a ton, and uh, I hope so. I hope I did. I hope I did well by him. He's like one of my heroes.
0: Oh, you know what's one last thing? I his middle name
1: Kitchen. Kitchen.
0: What's up with that?
1: Yes, because he knew where the food was. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Gerard Kitchen O'Neill. His middle name is his mom's uh, maiden name.
2: Fairly okay. common. Fairly common at the time.
1: Yeah, exactly. He was you gotta, born you on. Keep the name moving forward. Yep, born on February sixth, nineteen twenty-seven. So I think all of his names were like family names.
2: Yeah, okay. so, uh, yeah. you know. Once again, it it's kind of similar to what we're running into today. We're judging people based on what we know today.
1: What we know now, exactly.
2: Yes. Not what was known at the time. Yeah. Not what was acceptable at the time. Um you know, in larger context. Well, well, let's just leave it at that. Um, But in in this case, this was somebody very technical, very knowledgeable, and he was given certain information, you know, in five years, we'll be flying every week into space. It's fine. If we're doing that, then we can do X.
1: Yeah, he was probably, I'm thinking by 1975, he was probably thinking that, okay, by 1977 and 78, we'll be flying the space shuttle, because that's what NASA was saying. NASA was saying that, okay, by 1978, we're going to be putting our first cruise up. By 1981, we're going to have, you know, about 50 flights. I mean, I'm dead serious. That was, that was the timeline that they had imagined, or, or you know, for that thing. I I have a book at home. It's from that era. And it's hysterical, because it lays out the shuttle program. And it's like, yeah, by 1992, we'll have 500 missions. I mean, and it's dead serious. And um, it it really goes with, you know, the NASA line from around that period of what they were kind of telling all the media sources and how they were selling what the space shuttle was supposed to be at the time. And of course, obviously it it wasn't. So I agree with you. I think we're basing, a lot of people base their judgments of O'Neill. There've been a lot of criticisms levied at his ideas. And I think uh, a lot of his, Uh, The criticisms are levied at the fact that um, he was thinking about these things in the 70s before we knew, you know, like you said, before we knew what the shuttle program actually was (laughs) and um, and how complex it actually really was. I mean, there was no way you could turn it around in two weeks, maybe. But I mean, that would mean you'd have to have shifts working day and night. You know, there have been criticisms levied at him because of the his use of the term colonies, um, which I think nowadays, if let's say if O'Neill was were if he were alive now, let's say he were alive nowadays, I don't believe he would use that term anymore. He would probably use settlements. I think that was um, he didn't mean colonies in a negative sense. Do you understand what I'm trying to say?
2: Who are we marginalizing in order to build a settlement at L5? We didn't displace anybody. That is not a colony in the current perjuratory sense.
1: Yeah, that's not what he meant by space colonies. What he meant was, you know, people are going to go to space, they're going to be working together as a team, and they're going to create a settlement of people in on you know, in L five, at L five. That's what he meant by it. He I think if he were alive now he would use different would I, would he use different language? Absolutely. I think he would. I think he was um for a man of his time, I think he was very progressive and open enough to do that. So I, I think that's—I don't think he meant it in a negative. From what I thought of in a negative way at the time. No, I think um, yeah. for a man of his era, I mean, granted he was born in 1927, um, he was actually pretty progressive for somebody of that from that time period. Um, for example, you know, I, I talked to his um, his widow, his uh, Tasha she made it, you know, sound like they had a very supportive relationship. It wasn't just like, you know, she was his servant or something like that. Um, They had a child together. And from what I understand, he was a very, you know, involved parent with his kids. You know, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't fit the template of somebody from that era is what I'm trying to say. So um, I feel like some of the criticisms that are levied at him are sort of through that lens of the time. I think if, if people get a takeaway from this podcast, the one thing they should do is um honestly, I think even though, you know, it is a book of its time, I The High Frontier, I think it's still a very readable book. Like I said, I read it a few years ago, and at the time I was like, man, this is gonna be whack this is gonna be a whacked out book and it's gonna be real far out and stuff. But I found it it was surprisingly readable and um persuasive. So if anybody wants to kind of get into O'Neill and sort of, you know, okay, what was this guy about? I would start reading there.
0: Still available on Amazon, for example. Um, oh, yeah. You can get Kindle editions and hardcover, softcover. So, yeah, they just re released it, didn't they? I believe yeah, the SSI re released it
1: um, recently. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember um, hearing news about that. And it's a really nice, I believe it's a really nice edition with the Don Davis uh, illustrations and everything in it, which is. That's the one you want to get, so it's uh excellent. And um, there are used copies of you know of it if you know if you go to eBay and stuff, but uh, it is still available through Amazon. So uh, it's honestly, if people want to, that's kind of to me the starting. You know, if you want to get into his kind of ideas, that's
0: a good starting point. Thank you for listening to Space Three D. Join us for our next interview with physicist and space radiation expert Jeff Chancellor. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.